Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. talk to you today about your bias. Did you know you have a bias? Huh? You have a bias? Everybody has a bias. I'm talking to you. You have a bias. Yeah. You have a bias. Who? Me? Yeah. You have a bias. We all have, actually, we all have the same bias. Hmm. We all have the same bias. It's, uh, I think it's hardwired into us in, through creation. Uh, Dr. John Cacioppo, who's a PhD, who was then at Ohio State University, and now he's at the University of Chicago, he uh, did some studies on human beings and uh, showed people pictures that were known to arouse positive feelings. Uh, Say, a picture of a Ferrari or a picture of a pizza. I guess that defines who you are. it would be maybe too much for me to have a pizza in a Ferrari. That would probably just be over the top. But uh, uh, So he showed these people these, these pictures that were known to evoke positive feelings in them. And then he also showed them pictures that uh, stir negative feelings. A mutilated face, a dead cat, those kinds of things. And then he also showed them pictures that uh, produce neutral feelings, like an empty plate or a hairdryer those kinds of things, and he found out that the electrical activity that's recorded in your brain, your cerebral cortex, reflects the magnitude of the information and its imprint upon you as an individual. And it, uh, it means that, that the stimuli we react we re- to the strongest is the negative stuff. That we have a bias towards negative things. Now there's reasons for that. There's a greater surge of this electrical activity in our brain when we see something negative, and that's probably because we need to make immediate decisions based upon the negative information, whereas positive information doesn't demand an immediate decision all the time. For instance, if you hear a gunshot, you need to make an immediate decision, right? You need to make duck, whatever, run, whatever you're going to do. You hear the bark of a brand new little puppy. You don't need to make an immediate decision except to say, let me hold it for a little while and smell its feet. Because puppies' feet smell the best of all things in the world. Uh, so anyway, but I digress. But, so, you, so the negative information requires us to make a decision. So we are more hardwired for negativity. That means we link to the negative stuff more than we link to the positive stuff. That's interesting, isn't it? So that you have a bias woven into your psyche that is negative. You're always going to lean towards the negative. Now we're in Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, 
they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed and with wonder and ran in to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into the convulsion. And he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. He has often thrown himself into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, please take pity on us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Father, we ask that you would take your word and apply it like a salve to the wound of our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would take this, this, uh, uh, this word that is a weapon to our spirit, and help us to operate according to your word in our lifetime, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's quite the negative situation. Jesus has been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down. He's now traveling, and he runs into his disciples who are arguing. The church hasn't changed much in thousands of years, has it? The disciples of Jesus are still sitting around arguing about why they can't cast the Spirit out. Still are sitting around arguing with each other and with the Pharisees and with the Sadducees and with the crowd around them and with the, the boy's father and all those things. Still arguing. The church is still not busy doing the things that God wants it to do. We're arguing. and It creates this negative situation and Jesus walks into this negative situation and he sees his disciples dysfunctionally arguing with one another. It's just pitiful, and yet at the same time kind of comforting to know that we're still, we're still able to be helped by Jesus. You know, When the crowd sees Jesus, this is, this is the wonder of Jesus. When the crowd sees Jesus, they quit nitpicking at each other, and they immediately run to Jesus, because when they run to Jesus, they know that they will be received. That there's not going to be any arguing. There's not going to be any powerlessness. Not going to be any more excuse making. Not going to, they run to Jesus because they know, here's the guy with the answer. Uh, in some ways, they're, more, they're smarter than the disciples. Because the disciples are still arguing. Into that negative situation, in the center of it, is a negative parent. The parent has a demon-possessed kid. Nothing's really said about the boy's mother. Maybe she had enough and she left. Maybe she was at home just hoping to have a little time to herself after raising a demon-possessed boy around the house and just say, you go spend some time with your father. I don't know exactly what happened. But I just know that if this is your boy, if your child is demon-possessed, that affects every relationship in your life. I just know that every place that he went, this father with his son, that this child who's throwing himself down and acting out and, 
and responding to the demonic prodding in his life. That is stirring stuff up. His entire self-image is, is, uh, is wrapped up in this problem, this negative situation that his, his son is in. Can you imagine the PTA meeting? Oh, so you're little Lucifer's father. That's great. You know, imagine every place he goes, he's recognized as the one who has this child who has the negative outburst, the negative behavior. And, and, and so everything about this situation is negative. The spirit that's in him is trying to work the ultimate negativity. It's a suicidal spirit that keeps throwing him into the fire to burn him. Keeps trying to destroy the life of the one who's hosting that demonic spirit. And it doesn't sound like a home where love would be easily reciprocated. I don't know what it's like to hug a demon-possessed boy, but I suppose when you hug him and say, I love you so much, that it's hard for the demon-possessed boy to say, I love you too, Daddy. And then he brings them to... It brings the son to the disciples, and they have a failure to launch this spirit out of this child. It's as if the situation is completely hopeless. Jesus' assessment of the people in this situation is sharp, almost uncharacteristically harsh. Go back again. Tell me about your son. Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus looks at that man and says, Oh, unbelieving generation. Doesn't that sound a little un-Jesus-like? Doesn't that sound a little bit harsh for Jesus' response? does to me. Faithless, unbelieving, negative generation. How long will I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? That's a tough response. Can you imagine just coming to church and saying, Pastor, we really want you to pray over our son we brought him to the altar. He acts out. He's, uh, teachers at school don't want him. And I say, oh, you faithless believers! You'd say, I'm never going back to that church ever again. But Pastor Jesus here responds very negative. But then he says, bring the boy to me. Thank God for that. We pick up the negativity in our brains. It's hardwired in us. And it creates a faithless bias. We, we, we launch into things that, that, we, that we should have better attitudes about. We should, we should be more filled with faith in our life. Would you agree? How many of you would say that in the last week or probably in the next week, that you should have more faith facing the circumstances you're facing than you have right now in your head. Raise your hand. Yeah. I think there is a sense in which Jesus is precisely accurate. This faithless generation, this, this generation, He doesn't mean necessarily that, that they've given up faith. It's just that 
with all the struggles, they're not struggling hard enough for their faith. We get it from our society. We get it from our culture. We get it all around us. Even if we make a decision today, I will be a person, an optimistic person. Right? I saw something that was so good this, this week. A fellow pastor wrote on his Facebook that those who argue about whether or not the glass is half full or half empty have missed the point. The glass is refillable. That's awesome. That describes to us our lack of vision when we look at life. We're so determined to say, well, the, the glass is half full. You know, that means it's half gone. That means we're running out. That means, oh, the end is near. Eeyore chimes in, we'll never make it from the back. And we buy into all that negativity that's there in our life. We, we, or we go to the other side of that and we try to become syrupy, sweet, and ignorant of anything evil or dark in our world. But the reality of it is God keeps supplying over and over and again. We've heard the testimonies already this morning of God's ability to supply and to supply and to supply and to supply. There's no reason really for us to allow this negativity in us. I remember when President Reagan shamed the news media. I'm old enough to remember President Reagan. And uh, I remember when President Reagan shamed the news media and said that all the news is negative, and he challenged them to put one good story. Now, if you are watching the news these days, you, you know they always end now with a warm puppy story or, you know, a home-baked cookie story or something that's really happy at the end after, after 30 minutes of negativity and the world's crashing and this one shot that one and there's a dead body found here and nobody knows if the police are working for us or against us and all the, the government is, all that, all that stuff, all that stuff. And then, but little Susie had puppies. And then, but you recognize that we're so hardwired for negativity that when that positive news comes to us, our hearts leap because that positivity exudes hope for tomorrow. There's a possibility that things might get better. Come on, somebody. The things might get better. In the meantime, that negativity feeds every nasty attitude that we have. Uh, can you put up that gray slide? Is that, are there slides there? No? No? Okay. Then you can't do it. Uh, one one attitude that, that, is, is, that is fed by negativity is anger. So people walk around every day full of anger, full of, full of frustration, just on the cusp of, 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 of letting loose on somebody. Uh, if you're a boss, it must be terrifying to determine whether or not you really want to let this guy go. Because is he going to come in and shoot everybody in the factory because, because you fire him? People, and that negativity feeds that anger. It feeds our stubbornness. You know, you, you notice how when, when, that negativity comes, we become more and more entrenched in our position. We get deeper and deeper roots in being stubborn. Our self-centeredness, we get, 
we, get, we become more clearly defined on self because that's so negative. In order to survive now, we are trying to, to just make it work for number one. Trying to make it out for, for who we are so that we can get through. So our self-centeredness is fed by that negativity. Our woundedness. If you've ever been abused, if you've ever been uh, mistreated, if you suffered injustice, negativity just feeds that. So you see yourself as a victim. You see yourself as a, somebody who's had injustice perpetrated on you. And you know, it doesn't allow you to move on to the next thing. Our fault finding with other people. Negativity just feeds that fault finding before. And so now we're picking with the, you get with a group of negative people and you start fault finding and they start fault finding. And then when they leave the table, you start fault finding on them and, and criticizing them and murmuring and complaining against them. It's just fed by this negativity that's on the inside of our life. The pride that we have in our own life is just fed by this negativity. It makes us stand up and want to be different than everyone else, which makes us stand up and declare we're the same as every other person, full of pride. It feeds our worry. It feeds our anxiety. It just beats us down. That, that negativity just feeds that. So we have more to worry about, more to be anxious about, more to be filled with care and concern about. It feeds our bitterness. That negativity just keeps feeding in that. Now, instead of being angry, we're supposed to be a loving people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, that if you're angry with your brother, you're subject to judgment. If you're angry with your brother... You're subject to judgment. Uh, you go look it up. You can don't be mad at me. That's don't don't take your angry self out on me. We're supposed to be a loving people. Our response is supposed to be loving. Instead of stubbornness, we're supposed to be surrendered. We're supposed to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice, it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're, we're supposed to not be self-centered, we're supposed to be living for the Lord. Galatians 2 tells us that we're supposed to, the life we live is live for Christ alone. The woundedness it makes us re re react so that we aren't vulnerable. It is impossible to love without being vulnerable. It is absolutely impossible to love while still guarding your heart. You have to love with vulnerability. You have to open yourself up. And, and, and so that's counterproductive into what God has called us to do. All that fault finding, we're supposed to be encouraging one another. All, all that pride that, 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 that we exhibit when that negativity feeds it just allows us to be a, a, a people that is so arrogant, so prideful, that God rejects us. It says in James that the, that the Lord rejects the proud and embraces the humble. We're supposed to be a, a humble people. That negativity feeds our worry, and we're supposed to not be worried, ever. We're supposed to be trusting. I get it, it's, a, it's, a, it's difficult, but we're supposed to be trusting God. We're supposed to be casting our cares upon him because we know that he cares for us. We're supposed to be living by this book, not just studying it occasionally or looking for a golden verse that will make us feel warm and fuzzy for a few moments in the morning before we go out into the very negative world. 
We have to be, bring ourselves to a place where we have the ability to kill the negativity that's in us. Negativity drains us. Now you may say, I'm not negative, I'm just a realist. All that really tells us is that you're afraid. It's the statement of cowards. I'm a, I'm a realist. I don't want to be suckered by anybody. I don't want to be taken advantage. I don't want to be disappointed because I'm so fragile on the inside that I can't afford to be uh, let down, disappointed, or, or disheartened. You're not a realist. You're a coward. So the issue for us is to allow the negativity to dissipate so that it doesn't drain the life out of us. See, when you say, I'm just a realist, that's a statement of resignation to the circumstances. In other words, I'm, or maybe it's just a, a, a sense of laziness. I don't want to work to make a change. I just want to receive the negative. You, you have to kill the negativity to move on because it's incompatible with your faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, that was good preaching, Pastor Dave. Thanks, I really appreciate that. Amen, brother. High five. It's incompatible to be negative and be a person of faith. Think about it. It's logical. No one ever says, that guy over there, some people say he's negative, but I see him as a man of faith. No one ever said that ever, any place, any time. In fact, really, negativity crowds out the positivity that's out there. It draws the curtains on anything that's good. The darkness tries to drive out the light so that you don't see any of the good things. There are positive things which you are choosing not to acknowledge when you allow the negativity to come in and consume who you are. Come on, I'm talking to you now this morning. This negativity drains your energy and leads to burnout. It'll, it just saps all the, the energy on the inside of you. The negativity encourages me to adopt concerns that aren't even mine. Have you noticed this? You're in a negative attitude. The negativity of the world has crept into you, and now you see someone else that's going through something. You have no idea why they're going through, but you're offended with God because that person, who seems to you like a good person, is going through that. How could that happen? God, I'm really ticked off at you today because you allowed that to happen. You're borrowing offenses from other people and applying them to your life. Negativity breeds poisonous self-talk, a self-loathing on the inside of you. It, it breeds a critical spirit, not just for others, but for yourself, too. You're nitpicking yourself. Listen, you cannot move to the next chapter of your life if you never turn the page. If you choose every night for your devotional reading to reread every negative thing that you ever went through in the last chapter of your life, you will never be able to move into the next chapter of your life. Turn the page. Turn. Be done with it. Quit beating yourself up. You don't have to loathe yourself or hate on yourself. All you have to do is take it to the Lord, get forgiven, walk away. Negativity breeds that critical spirit of other people. The Bible warns us over and again against complaining and murmuring and criticizing. It tells us, don't 
ever do it. Don't ever do it. Now, we could have an altar call right here because we always complain and murmur. Negativity teaches us to avoid reality. It just says don't try because it's never going to get any better. Don't try. Now, let's go back to our gospel story. The man's request of Jesus stinks of unbelief. It stinks of unbelief. I don't blame him. The church taught him to be unbelieving. It's, it falls to the, to the disciples. The disciples actually preached this man that his child cannot be delivered from this demon because they chose not to do what was necessary to bring the healing and the freedom to this child. It's the responsibility of the disciples to accurately represent Jesus to the world around them. I suspect that when Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving generation, he's less talking to the man and more talking to the twelve. He's speaking to the church, saying, Oh, church! When will you ever get this faith thing down so that you understand the heart of God, so that you understand the power of God, so that you understand what we're supposed to be doing in this world? Oh, Jesus, it's hard. It's hard, Jesus. It's a demon. And we're just people. Wrong. You've got the anointing of God on you. I gave you authority. You can go into the world. You've got the power of God on your life. You can go out and say, oh, Jesus, this kind only comes out by fasting. Well, give up your hamburger and start fasting for that one. Oh, unbelieving, oh, you negative generation. Hmm. Now I'm reading this story a little different. Cuts a little closer to the quick. It's a little closer to my heart. It's as if Jesus is saying, Suck it up, buddy. Start believing and be a person of faith. We're supposed to represent faith wherever we go. We're supposed to be evaluating the ministry of the church by asking ourselves this one question. Does it represent God well and does it promote faith? Is what we're doing promoting faith in Jesus Christ? Because if it's not, then we're doing it wrong. Faith in the Lord. Faith in the goodness of people. God's people are good. Not perfect, but they're good. Look around you. About 99% good people. Come on now. You one percenters know who you are, but the 99%, 99% of these people are good. We're supposed to be proclaiming that, that when God redeems a life, that he gives us the ability to give of ourselves. When we were takers, now we become givers. When we were haters, now we become lovers. 
We become people who are completely different and we're not perfect. We fall into our old ways occasionally, but we still are doing our darndest to try to bring glory and honor to Jesus through who we are. And we believe, we believe, we believe that God can do the same thing in your wretched life as he did in our wretched life. The disciples' faith is weak. Jesus' comment is directed to them as much as it's directed to anyone else. Only by fasting. What happens when you fast? What happens when you fast? You become keenly aware of spiritual forces that are arrayed around you. You become aware of a heavenly perspective that makes you think things in more of a, a heavenly understanding of the things that you're looking at in your life. What happens when you fast? Your faith gets built up like you, believe, you didn't believe that you could go a whole day without an Oreo, but somehow you could do it. God brought you through. You didn't die without food. All you had was water, and you didn't die. God showed you that there's something better than this, deeper than that. There's something greater than this. And when you begin to do that, then you have fast. No wonder Jesus is telling them to fast. Not that their hamburger is the problem. Their faith is the problem. Their faith is the problem. Because they're so this-worldly minded, they can't see the heavenly world around them. Part of that is on the disciples. And part of that is on the Father. Let's just put it there. Part of it's on the Father. See, you're, you've got to have faith. The garden of your heart is being sowed every day with seeds of negativity. This negative stuff in the world is being sowed into your heart. And quite frankly, we're too busy plucking the weeds out of our own hearts to do it in your heart. You have got to monitor the garden of your heart. Or you will reap, you will reap what grows in the garden of your heart. So you have to look at your heart. Your times in the evening when you kneel down to go to bed, there's times in the evening where you have to sit down and say, okay, God, what seeds are in my heart that need to be plucked up before they bear fruit? Because you can bear fruit for things that are evil as well as you can bear fruit for things that are good. Oh, pastor, that was good preaching. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. That was really good preaching. Look, I get it. You don't, you're one hour sleep down. I get it. I, I started laughing this morning when I woke up. I was so groggy. That stinking devil stole another hour of my sleep. I'm getting tired of this. That's 61 hours I'm owed. <laughs> Happens every year. 61 hours. That's, that's a long time, man. So how do we break the habit of negativity? They did a study with married couples. This will scare you. They found out that married couples who go through difficult times, the ones who don't make it are the ones who don't have the proper ratio of positive to negative in their marriage. They don't have the proper ratio. Now, you would think, oh, that means you have to have one good thing for every one bad thing. Nay, nay. You have to have five positives for each negative to have a successful marital relationship when you hit 
the tough water. I heard somebody say, oh, God, give me faith. Oh, five positives for every one negative. I can see husbands right now, right, making a list. I think I got five. Five positives for every negative. And if that's in your marriage, how much more so in your spiritual life? You've got to have it going on in order to face down some negativity in your life. And when the world around you is surrounded with negativity, you've got to fill yourself up with the positiveness of the gospel of Jesus. Years ago, I did a, 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 a sermon illustration with a, a balloon. You remember the balloon? And the balloon uh, has, how can it, how does it keep from, be, what is uglier than a balloon with no air in it? It's just a floppy little wrinkly thing. It's just, it's just the ugliest thing, right? But when you blow it up, what is it that keeps it nice and round? The pressure on the inside. So all that you put into it is what keeps the pressure from the outside from crushing it down into the wrinkled little ugly thing that it is. The negativity in this world will crush you down into a wrinkled little balloon if you don't fill yourself up on the inside. So how do we kill the negativity? First thing you have to do when you wake up in the morning, even on the days when you lose an hour of sleep, wake up and give a vocal thanksgiving. Now at my age, the first thing out of my mouth is usually a groan. As I roll out of bed going, but the next thing out of all of our mouths should be thank you Lord for this day you've given me breath I'm able to stand I'm able to do the things that you've allowed me to do this is where I am I'm, I'm not nuts yet I still remember most of my life I know almost all my kids names I'm, I, this is, I'm, I, I'm this place in my life and today is going to be a good day because you gave me the breath to go do it. Begin every day with a vocal thanksgiving. I know, I know, we all are like, yeah, 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 but we don't do it. We're like, yeah, well, I'll talk to the Lord after I have some coffee. <laughs> we need to be people who give a vocal thanksgiving. Well, what if I don't feel like it? Then do it two times. <laughs> Make yourself a list of things that you have to go to if it, when your brain can no longer think of them. And maybe, on, maybe on a good day after a good lunch on Sunday, after your nap this afternoon where you recapture the hour that the devil tried to steal from you. May, sit down and make a list of 10, 12 things that you know are your go-to praise reports every morning. And when you can't think of anything, you can just look over here and say, breath, I praise Him for breath. I praise Him for health. I praise Him for how far we've come. I praise Him for deliverance. I praise Him for deliverance from drugs and alcohol and all this other. I praise Him for what He's got. I praise Him for all that He's supplied. Listen, none of us very few of us can stand in the mirror and say, I look malnourished. So thank him for yesterday's meals. I thank you, Lord, that you gave me enough. 
I thank you for the double cheeseburger with bacon. I bind up that cholesterol and cast it into the sea. <laughs> Second thing, feed the fire of faith. Get in the word. Get in the word every day. Get in the word and allow it. I think it's better in the morning because it sets the tone of your day. Get in the word in the morning. Spend some time in the word and not just reading it, but applying it to your life. It doesn't make any difference. That's why I, I say this all the time. If the Bible that you're reading uses a name for God that you're reading on that day, use that name as you approach God. So if it says, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, then just instead of saying, oh dear Jesus, help me through the day, say shepherd. Well, you're declaring a promise when you declare his name. Shepherd. It invokes all the images of the shepherd with the rod and the staff and the guidance and the care and the concern and the nurture. With one word, shepherd, walk me through this day. It's really positive. That's the application of the, of the word that you're reading. Sometimes the Bible says that God is a hammer. Sometimes it says that God, well, you get it. He's your healer. Is your banner. Number three, prayerfully express your emotions. This kills the negativity on the inside of you. But you have to call the emotions for what they really are. So if it's all anxiety, if it's all worry, or if it's, oh God, please let there be enough money in the chicken account so we can make rent this week. If that's your prayer, then confess it for what it really is. Lord, help me with my fear. Help me with my fear. Or maybe it's worse than that. Maybe it's, oh Lord, help me with my fear that is here because I spent too much money last week at White Castle. But at least identify what you're really praying about to the Lord with real words to talk about. We love euphemisms that don't really say anything. Oh, God. You know. Remember that in the 60s they had that saying that uh, love is the feeling that you feel when you feel you've had a feeling. That's a lot of talk about nothing. We pray like that sometimes. Oh, Lord, help me feel better because I feel lousy today. Just confess it for what it is. I'm lazy today, Lord. Help me to not give in to my basis instinct to roll over and pull the covers over and ignore what's around me. Are you angry and frustrated? Is that what's getting in your way? Are you disappointed or afraid that God has forgotten you? Then confess that before the Lord. How can you know you've been healed of it unless you confess it before the Lord? Accurately pray and express your emotions as you're in the presence of the Lord. Because as soon as you say them, especially if you've been in the Word recently, as you say them, you'll recognize, well, there's no reason I should fear. There's no reason I should be disappointed. The Lord said, hope maketh not ashamed. Right? So there's no reason, there's no reason that I should be frustrated. I just have to wait on you and trust in your timing, God. And you suddenly get rebuked by your own prayer. It's wonderful. Find peace, the fourth thing. Find peace. 
You have to have peace in your heart. You do it by forgiving. You do it by accepting. You do it by choosing to forbear and put up with other people's junk. Some of you need to go to, before you go to work, you need to go to prayer and say, Lord, today I am not going to let that chick get under my skin. I am not going to let this one tweak me one more time and ruin my day because of that thing they say every single day. I choose to forbear with that. I'm going to smile and point to Jesus using the right finger. Fifth thing, do something positive. Accomplish something so that you can look at yourself in the mirror when you get home. I'm going to do something good today. I'm going to do something positive. I'm going to check a box off. Yesterday at the community kitchen, I was sitting next to a guy, and I said, what are you, what are you going to do after you're eating lunch here? And he said, oh, I've got some chores at home to, to do. And I said, I, so as I was leaving the table later, I said, hey, whatever you do, don't work too hard today. You know, just being kind of clowny. And he said, well, I, all I need to do is just check the box and I feel better. There's a guy who gets it. Just got to check the box. It doesn't make any difference. You got nine other boxes that went unchecked. If there's one box checked, win. That's it. You just celebrate that. Right? Come on. You know what it is. If it says do all the laundry and you only get three loads down, done, then just celebrate that. Yeah, I got three loads done. That's good. I'll just wear less clothes this week. Where am I at? Six. Take time to remember a good memory. This is a negativity killer. Go through on your iPhone or whatever phone or some, if you have pictures or whatever, and if you don't have pictures or an iPhone, then, then close your eyes and remember something positive. A good vacation memory with the sun shining down on your mostly naked body as you're laying on the beach receiving the rays from the sun and your skin, the, the melatonin in your skin changing colors as you're there just blossoming there and suddenly you're interrupted by someone who has a glass of something cold for you to drink. Think of something like that. That's an energy giver, not an energy sucker. Laugh. Laugh at yourself. Listen, you're the funniest person you know. So look at yourself and recognize what a joke I am. I'm just laughing at myself. Laugh at a joke. Tell a joke to somebody. <laughs> oh. I'm buying that kid lunch right there. <laughs> laugh at your friends if you don't have anything else to laugh at. Laugh at memories. Sometimes there's people in your life that you remember, they're not even around, and you can still laugh at them when they're there. Because they're there living in your memory. Another thing, listen to music that builds you up. Listen to something that builds you up. It doesn't have to be Christian music, you know. 
But listen to music that has something positive to say about you. If it's always like, we're going to you know, blow you up and kill you. and <laughs> You're not going to get any goodness out of that. There's no like, we're going to rape your children. We're going to rape, you know, that, that stuff doesn't, that's not positive music. Listen to something that builds up your spirit. It encourages you. It doesn't have to have words. It could be an instrumental. Just listen to something that just makes you marvel at the technician that's actually playing that music. Makes you appreciate something besides what's going on in the streets all around us. You've got to fill the balloon up with positivity on the inside. Another thing, set goals. Set, set goals, set Visions, dream your dreams, follow God, determine that you're going to do something that's going to be, be important for the rest of your life. Set the goal, meet the goal, work towards the goal, keep pushing that direction. You're tired, I get it, you're, you're exhausted, you're, you're, you're poisoned by the negativity around the world. Get yourself off the couch and go out and do, make one more step towards the fulfillment of the goal. And my final thing is never give up until you're dead. You say, well, I'm on my deathbed. Don't you lay down on your deathbed yet. Don't give up. God has brought people off a deathbed. Some of them walk among us. God is not done with you until he's done with you. And you need to fight and keep fighting and keep fighting and keep fighting. Amen. Death is not your friend. It's the last enemy, according to the scripture. The last enemy to be vanquished. So in all this, we use these things to keep ourselves positive and not be the negative church. Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. If you can, all things are possible for him who believes. When I go to the Lord, it shouldn't be, Lord, hey, Lord, if you can do it, if I can. Do you know who you're talking to? I put the stars in the sky. I called them by name. I sent every spinning orb into, the, into orbit. Do you know who you're talking to? If I can. If I, Lord, could you throw me a bone? You don't need a bone. You're a child of the king. This is who we are. Time for the disciples to quit fussing and fighting and picking fights with all those who are around them and stand up and begin to do something that will enhance the kingdom of God. It's time for us to recognize who we are. If I can, if I can, I'm the God of all creation if I can. If I can, do you know who you're talking to? If I can. Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you will fill us with the truth of your
Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website.